Let's take our Bibles at this time, turn to Matthew chapter number five, Matthew in chapter number five. Um, decided just to stay with our series here this morning. I hope that you'll see as to why. Although as I began to study the passage, I began to wonder, should we or venture out? Tonight fits perfectly in terms of Heartland Sunday. And uh, that would be in First Samuel and how that Samuel was given for lifelong ministry. I mean, that's just hand in glove opportunity there and uh, started his Bible college experience early at age three. So uh, anyways, uh, but I, you know, I hope that you enjoy uh, the emphasis uh, here today. And, and honestly, as I began to study this passage, I thought, Lord, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe there's another passage that we could consider for Heartland Sunday. Uh, but the more I got into it, the more I realized that this is just providential, providential. So let's look at it. I'd like to begin in verse number 17 just to help us get the context here a little bit. We talked last week about uh, <clears throat> uh, legal experts and the case for your righteousness. If you remember that, legal experts and the scribes and Pharisees were self-proclaimed experts on the law. And they would certainly accuse Jesus and Paul and Stephen and others of, of uh, destroying the law or abolishing the law. And Jesus makes it clear that he didn't come to destroy, but rather to fulfill the law. And so he gave his, we're going to read about it now. We're, we're going to read about his relationship to the law. But also he spoke to his disciples um, there in that gathering, he spoke to his disciples about their relationship to the law, and thus our relationship to the law. And so let's read about that now, and we'll, then we'll keep reading into our text in verse uh, 21 and following. Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. <clears throat> I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill for verily, I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet, one yod, one jot, or one tittle, the smallest stroke in the alphabet in terms of differentiating between it and another letter, two letters, to the very minute detail, basically, Jesus is saying this, nothing shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of the least of these of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, this is our relationship to the law right here, verse 19 and 20. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's kind of hard for us to maybe put that in context. But what if, what if uh, I said to a group of athletes, except your... Uh, except your athletic ability does not exceed the athletic ability of the dream team, huh? then you shall not play on this team. Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, it, it's, it's too high, okay? But what Jesus is getting at is that theirs was an external righteousness. He's looking for an internal righteousness. Theirs was a works-based righteousness, which they worked to earn. What he wanted to give them was a gift of righteousness that could be received only on the basis of grace and that through faith. Okay. Verse 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, 
Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Notice the authority of Jesus when he says, but I say unto you. That whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, Raka, which is, means basically this empty head, empty head. It's an insult, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, the word is uh, moros, which is the word from which we get moron. Thou moron, but it's talking more about their character. Uh, you scoundrel, it's a put down. It's an insult. Shall be in danger of hellfire. Evidently, Jesus believed in hellfire. Literal. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, Leave thy gift before the altar. Leave the goat right there. Leave the lamb right there. Leave the bullock right there. Go back and get things right. First be reconciled to thy brother and then come and offer thy gift. That may mean we need to put church on pause right here, right? Agree. How about verse 25? Agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the utmost farthing. In other words, you're not going to get out of this until you've paid the very last cent. You've heard that it was said by them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh upon, sorry, looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And then he gives this as the solution to that problem. Verse 29, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out. And cast it from thee. That's some serious surgery right there, friend. And if thy, for it is, I'm sorry, it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body shall, should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not thy whole body should be cast into hell. And then it goes on, it hath been said, again, you heard in verse 33, been said by them of old time, verse 38, you've heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, verse 43, we doing all right, you following me? Verse 43, you've heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. You've heard it said that way, but I say unto you, love your enemies. See why I thought about another passage? But actually see why we're right here? Here's the title of the message. Jesus is King. That's our series title. Jesus is King. Here's the title of the message. What has been said versus what is written. What has been said 
versus what is written. The battle for biblical hermeneutics, the battle for biblical hermeneutics in the midst of a cultural war. The battle for biblical hermeneutics in the midst of a cultural war. How far do you go and make an application? It's an important question. I sure pray God will help us here today. May he bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We're going to get right to it. Today being Heartland Sunday, we're rejoicing in God's blessings on, um, on Heartland as a place of training. If you're not familiar with the school, it's, it's purpose is, is just explicitly this, that to train future pastors and missionaries and Sunday school teachers and deacons and, and um, school administrators and Christian school teachers and music leaders and um, youth workers and youth pastors and secretaries and, and I guess in many ways on the list goes, but it's very ministry focused. Very ministry focused. Our uh, theme this year has been in one word, sufficient. Sufficient. And that is coming out of 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all scripture is given, all scripture, the word is graphe, the all scripture, all of what is written, written and all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, for instruction in right, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. We believe at Southwest Baptist Church that the word of God is sufficient. It's what you need. It's what we need. Sufficient. There is an age-old battle that continues to rage at Heartland between two professors as to which class is the most important class. Hermeneutics or homiletics. On one side you have Brother John Waterloo. On the other side, Brother Sam Davison. And the two have gone at it for years. Years. Playfully, but fiercely. Ironically, I mean, literally, I had just typed in the name John Waterloo, tweaking my notes even this morning, working on it a little bit uh, here today. And none other than John Waterloo texts me to say, I'm praying for you. (laughs) So I said, Brother Waterloo, I just wrote your name and describing the battle that's been raging about which is the most important class at Heartland, hermeneutics, the art and science of biblical interpretation. Basically, how do you read and understand the Bible or in homiletics, the art and science of biblical preaching? How do you take what God has said and say it? Which is more important? And Brother Waterloo very quickly said, ha ha. <laughs> and then he said this, he said, uh, Brother Sam's class or homiletics is the favorite class. That's what he said. So I said, ah, by that then yours is the most important. He said, of course. So we're going to settle that today. Not really. Actually, how can you even answer that? Both are important. Equally important. Now, I would say this, that 
Hermeneutics, yeah, man, that's a big word, isn't it? Hermeneutics basically just means that. Biblical interpretation, how do you interpret the Bible? I mean, you say, I think that's probably important. I didn't know that word before, but if that's what that is, that's important. And probably you ought to have a class, have a class on that at Heartland. Well, probably we ought to have a class on that at Southwest, and we have. Along the way, it's that important. Hey, hey wait a minute. Let me, let me just clear off, clear things up right here. Don't get in your mind, well, this, this day is all about Heartland Baptist Bible College, not about Southwest Baptist Church and the people that go here. Uh-uh. That's a good Greek word right there. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, friend, no. This has everything to do with you. It does. Don't, in fact, that, that, that goes against everything Jesus is saying, that Bible interpretation is relegated to scholars. He was taking issue with that because the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious elite of their day and they were saying, you can't really understand the Bible because you're just text collectors and common everyday fishermen. Well, Jesus enrolled both. Amen. Began to teach them a course on hermeneutics. He started right there. How important it is. The Pharisees, the scribes, they, they, they quoted the Bible, but the problem was that they didn't take application far enough. They didn't apply it to their own lives. They didn't take it far enough. They, listen, they were polished in their public speaking, but they were corrupt in their daily living. There is a major problem in Bible colleges across the day, uh, across the, the country and in every day and time that we, I'm, I'm speaking today about Heartland Baptist Bible College. I'm talking about our role and relationship with Southwest Baptist Church and the same would apply to us as well as church members that you can have a big theological head but a dark sinful heart. They can be very polished in speaking. A, a preacher could stand behind a pulpit and be very polished in his delivery and yet living a secret life of sin. And it's detrimental to every cause of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand today what Jesus is saying and we also need to understand this as to why he is saying it. And we need to understand how it was showing up in their society at that day and time. Because the more that I got into this and I began to think about the issues, and to be very honest and upfront with you today, we're not even really going to get into the issues that he addresses here, although we will hit the surface of them just to kind of illustrate it. But I, 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 I just have tried to seek God about this and not be in so much of a hurry because the issues that they were dealing with then are issues that we're dealing with now and I believe it is imperative upon us to understand this very crucial scripture, this very crucial uh, section of scripture for our, for our understanding in this modern day and time. I, I'm just convinced of it. I just had, had, had some fellowship with an individual that mentioned how that it seems like everything in the Old Testament is building up to what Jesus said here on the Sermon on the Mount and everything else is flowing somewhat out of that and, and relates to it in some ways and I, I, I have to say I think that's an accurate statement. They were doing a lot of talking in Jesus' day and time. They were talking about murder. Thou shalt not kill. And if you kill, then you're in danger of the council. Justice. Violence. 
lawsuits, court hearings. You say, it sounds like, preacher, you've left the world of the Bible and come to our day and time. It's because this is timeless. Thou shalt not kill, but it's okay if you hate. It's okay if you, if you come to the altar. It's okay if you come to the synagogue. It's okay if you come uh, to the temple and you got your sacrifice, you've got your offering, but you got some ought against somebody or they got ought against you. It's, it's okay that you harbor some hate in your heart as long as you don't kill them. It's okay if you speak in a derogatory way towards them, call them raka or, or, or call them a, a fool. It's okay if you use some slang about them. It's okay if you talk about their nationality. It's okay if you use some, drop some words. As long as you don't kill them. That's what they were saying. It's okay if you look but don't touch. Thou shalt not commit adultery. They found some loopholes. Oaths, promises, making promises, racial tension. Love your neighbor, which in the Jewish mind meant this, love your fellow Jew. But you can hate your enemy, which was rather convenient for the Jews since they had a bunch of them. Enemies. Romans, you can hate them. Tax collectors, even Jews that participate with Rome, you can hate them. Other nationalities, you can hate them. Because they're not Jews, you can hate them. That's what they said. That's what the talk show radio host was saying in their day and time. Okay, they didn't have radio. But I guarantee you that's what the, what the leading scholars were saying. That's what the rabbis were saying. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Is it okay for you to hate? Is it okay for us to hate? Is it okay? Is it okay for us to hate people of a certain color? Is it okay for me to hate black people? Is it okay for me to hate white people? Is it okay for us to hate Asians? Is it okay to hate illegal uh, immigrants that are people that are coming across the border? Is it okay to hate them? Can I say to you this morning, Jesus addresses all those things? He does. And, and I'm telling you, friend, listen, I'm not trying to stir up emotions here this morning, but, but we in our day and time desperately need some help. I mean, some real, genuine help to think through this because there's all kinds of talk. There's all kinds of speeches being made by politicians and talk show hosts and, and, and people online and people at the office and, I mean, people that are doing blogs and, and that are tweeting and that are emailing. I mean, there's all kinds of people that are saying all kinds of things. We need to hear from somebody that knows. And what I, I pray desperately that God would help me to do is not give you Jason Gaddis's opinion on this. My spin, my take on this. Oh no, may God in heaven help every preacher that ever stands anywhere to say only what God has said because that is biblical hermeneutics that you'd say what God says. In fact, one of my favorite definitions of preaching is this. Look at what God is saying to us. 
Look at what he's saying to us. Number one, look at what he's saying. Look what he's saying to us. Heard a dear black gentleman speaking yesterday on the radio and it, it touched my heart so much. I, I appreciate what he had to say. And he was reflecting back on where he grew up in Birmingham and, and, and how the bombs were going off and all the racial tension that was there in the 1960s. And he was 11 years old when all that, but he still has vivid memories and some of his friends that died in that. And, and, and he, then he's interacting with all that's going on in our day and time. And, and, and I really appreciated many of the things he had to say. I don't have the time to get into it today, but I, I thought, dear God, what you said on that mountain in Galilee echoes through the portals of time right into our day and time. And we do well if we take careful heed to it. I'm telling you, friend, listen, Jesus wasn't speaking against Moses. And when you read in your Bible, look at it again, if you would, please. It hath been said, I, in verse 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old time. Hey, listen, be very careful there. That's not Jesus saying, I know what Moses said, but here's what I'm saying. That, that would contradict what he just said. Because Jesus just said, I've not come to abolish or to destroy the law, but rather I've, I've come to fulfill it. And so Jesus is not, not, not taking issue with the law. He's taking issue with the interpretation of the law. And he's taking issue with the oral tradition of their day. See, what we need to remember is this, is that, that many of the people here at this day and time, they could not read and write. Many of them. And so what they leaned on was oral tradition. They did, oh, mercy, folks. We, we take so much for granted that we get to hold in our hands a Bible and they didn't have access to the Bible. I love what William Tyndale said. I want to work so hard. I don't remember the exact quote, but basically this. He said, I want to make it so that, that even the plowman has access to the scriptures. Because at that day and time, it was just the clergy that had, oh, but listen, friend, this is not, I'm telling you, this is not just for a pastor to study throughout the week. This is not for some evangelist alone or some missionary alone. Oh, no, it's for you as a, as a Christian, as a believer. It's for you to understand. And you say, well, there's things in there that I have a hard time understanding. Well, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. We all have a hard time understanding the scriptures, but it's given to you. And, but that's what was happening is these rabbis were keeping the scriptures from the people and they were giving their oral tradition. But the problem was that they were being rather selective in what they said. It's been said to you of old time. And or, by the way, I want to say this before we move on. Oral tradition is not a bad thing as long as it matches up with the scriptures. There's a difference in Matthew 5 when it says, it hath been said, verse 21, verse 22, it was said, verse 31, it hath been said, verse 33, ye have heard it hath been said. Everybody see that? It hath been said. Okay, so that word is a different word than back in chapter four where Jesus is confronted by the devil and is tempted of the devil. If you remember that, just a few weeks ago, we studied that. And when Jesus was confronted by, by the adversary of God and, and he was attempting to cause Jesus to compromise, 
truth, then here's what Jesus said. He did not say, it has been said, this rabbi said, rabbi so-and-so said. No, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said very emphatically, it is written. Now that's a different verb than what is said in these verses that we're looking at. Jesus is not taking issue with scripture. No, he is actually undergirding and upholding the authority, the absolute authority of the word of God over man's traditions and man's ideas. So he's taking issue with that. But what was being said in the day was different than what was written. I'm telling you what they were doing is they were tampering with the text. They were taking away some of the things that were there and they were misinterpreting other texts. What do you do when what is being said differs from what has been written? Well, the answer should be obvious. I'm going to go with what is written rather than what so-and-so said. I encourage you to hear today, you go with what is written regardless of what this preacher says. If at any time that what this preacher says, I'm talking about myself right here, at any time, whatever I may say, if it in any wise, in any ways differs from what you read in black and white or in red and white, then you go with what is written rather than what I say. I try to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to be accurate. I mean, if I'm shooting a rifle, I want to be accurate. I just bought a bow and I'm trying to sight it in, but my arm's kind of wobbly and I'm trying to sight that in. But it's very important that you're accurate. Am I right about that? You got to be accurate. And I, but of all things, as much as I want to be accurate with, with, with uh, a rifle for hunting purposes or, or a bow, same thing, I want to be accurate with the Word of God. But I'm telling you, friend, you've got to take what God has said rather than what man says. What were the scribes and Pharisees doing then? In many ways, what they were doing is they were relaxing God's commandments to make God's word more manageable to obey. Sounds dangerous. That's not not kill. But if you want to insult somebody, have at it. Just don't kill them. Well, not killing them is a really good start. How are we doing? Really good start. Here's what they were doing. I thought about it this way, Brother David. I thought about in a little bit, we're at this rate, maybe a year from now, get to Matthew chapter 7. Not really that far off. But Jesus, Jesus talks about the narrow way. The narrow path versus the broad way. And Jesus is saying, for my disciples, this is okay. This is, this is good. You can do these things, but you need to understand there is a way that is a broad way. What the, what the Pharisees and scribes were doing is they were saying this, here's what is sinful. Here's what is sinful. Here's what you can do. Did, did you follow? Did I say that right? Jesus said, here's what you can do. Here's what you shouldn't do. They said, here's what you can do. Here's what you shouldn't do. You got it. Is that making sense? So they're going to say things like this. Uh, if you don't like your wife and, and she burnt the toast, I mean, literally, 
That was kind of their idea, their mentality. I mean, look, there's literal cases in Old Testament times where she, I don't know if it was toast, but she burnt something. And he said, you're out. Easy divorce. Easy divorce. Because marriage is too hard to work. And so, yeah, Moses permitted it. And so what we'll do is we'll just put these placards up, divorce, $250. Telephone poles, yard signs, divorce, $250. I'm here to tell you, friend, divorce will cost you a lot more than $250. That's what they did. They didn't have placards. They didn't have signs, but essentially that's what they were doing. You listen, it's just broad. You, now, listen, don't commit adultery. But it won't hurt to look. Thou shalt not commit adultery. So she's married. So don't go to her, but she's not married. Loophole. This woman is married to a Jewish man. Don't, in fact, it wasn't so much about purity then as it was don't, don't defile this man's honor by taking his wife because you're on his territory right there. But this slave girl, or this foreign woman, you can have her. You say, mercy sakes alive, Brother Jason. Are you serious? From what I've studied, from what I've read, that's what they were doing. They were saying, now don't commit adultery because that would be wrong. But if you want to do this, in fact, I found some biblical evidence of that, that when, when they, the scribes, the Pharisees, found a woman taken in adultery in the very act, they hauled her into Jesus and said, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? This woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Well, she wasn't alone. Where's the man? Where's the man, I say? Well, what they were doing is they were applying their ideas about the law. Yes, she's an adulterer, but this man is not. I don't know what loophole they found, but I'm telling you what is wrong here. It's biblical interpretation. It's basically this. It's saying, listen, I know what the letter of the law says, but here's what we're going to allow. I know the Bible. I know God says, thou shalt love thy neighbor. But then they tacked on. I'm telling you, what I did is I looked it up in Leviticus and it does not say hate thine enemies. They added that to the word of God until, listen friend, you and I are in a bunch of trouble when we take our words and add them to God's words. Because they said, it's okay for you to hate your enemies. That is not true. In fact, the Bible says, love the stranger because you are a stranger in Egypt. Love the immigrants because you are immigrants. Love the slaves because you were slaves. Listen, stop listening to your society and their opinions and the ways that things are out there and get back to how it is written and how it is written will help you on the road to recovery in a society that is caught up in a cultural war and battle. But when you boil it all down, it's a, it's a battle of this. It's a battle of what does God say versus what man says. And man has all kinds of opinions and he's saying all kinds of things. But I wonder if it'd help us today if we got to what God said. Now, who was Jesus talking to here when he said these things? Well, I've already hit part of this, so this makes the sermon go real quick, that he's talking to common people. I mean, just common, every ordinary people. People like you, people like me, by the way. Fishermen, tax collectors, political analysts, zealots. They were all there. And he was speaking to them. But I want to remind you of this as well. 
He was speaking to husbands and to dads. Peter was a husband. Peter was married. He had a mother-in-law. Come on. Pretty clear. All right. So Jesus is saying to Peter, oh, this gets across that Jesus is trying to help him to say, listen, you are a man that has responsibility to your wife. And I know what culture around you is saying, but don't listen to culture, Peter. Don't listen to culture, James and John. Don't listen to what the culture is saying. Easy divorcism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And looking and lusting and all that. No, no, no. Here's what you need to do. You need to love your wife. Amen. He said that to husbands and he said that to dads. And, and listen, we all struggle with anger, don't we? We all struggle with bitterness, don't we? We can all get hurt, can't we? We all struggle right there. I've, I've been, I go through that. You go through that. All God's children go through that. Come on. He's, he's speaking to common people that struggle with real things that are dads and moms and people. He's speaking to his disciples to help them in this, in this turmoil that's going on all around them. Here, as my disciples, is how you need to think about this. I found it interesting he didn't go to the scribes and Pharisees first. Now, would he? Did he? Oh, yeah. And it was on. As he said, woe unto you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Why did walls, vipers? Mercy? Well, it sounds like to me Jesus got a little bit upset. Yes, he did, but it was righteous. But our pride is not ground for us to be angry. And our hurt is not grounds for us to be angry. Our, our only righteous anger can come when we're angry about what God's angry about. Yeah, but eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, they're going to pay. They've done me unjustly, I've got to do them unjustly. That's not what Jesus said. We're going to see it. But uh, this is where it connected to Heartland Sunday. Are you still with me? Everybody following along with this? Do I need to start over? We're doing all right. Are we in a mess? Culturally, are we in a, I mean, just an all-out mess? What will straighten this out? What is written? I thought about this. Because it's right there in the Word. He was speaking to Bible college students. He said, that's a stretch. <laughs> I thought you might think that. But think about it. Peter, James, John, Bartholomew, all the others. Who were they? Future missionaries, church planners, teachers, preachers, whatever other role, martyrs. Eventually, they would give their very lives for these things and who he was. And at this point, at Mount Galilee in Baptist Bible College, Mount Galilee, Baptist Bible College, they were freshmen. And they were entering into a three-year degree. We need four. 
Do you see what he's doing? He knew that Peter someday was going to encounter those and he would have to stand even in the church and say, no, it's not by the law of Moses that we're saved, but it's by grace through faith. I went to Cornelius' house and he was a Roman centurion and he got saved. He was gloriously saved by the good grace of God. And he would stand in defense and say, his righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. I'm telling you, he's a legitimate believer just like you and I are. There's no difference. And he knew that James and John would need that theological teaching. And he knew that, that the other apostles, and he knew that even Peter someday would compromise because he got around those that did uphold the law and he sat in with them and got away from the Gentiles. Pressure, cultural, social pressure on preachers to fit in with the society. To go along with what's being said rather than standing firm on what is written. Why, why, why does Heartland Baptist Bible College exist and why is it a part of Southwest Baptist Church? I hope and pray Southwest Baptist Church doesn't ever get in a place where we kind of despise or we take lightly what has been given and entrusted to us by God. I do believe, I, I believe we can make a case of that. And, and even if you say, I don't know if I could believe the, 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 uh, the evidence of that in terms of circumstances, then, then okay, fine. But if you care about the Great Commission and the gospel going into all the world, then surely then surely you'd care about a Bible college that is doing what it can with God's help to try to train and prepare people to take the gospel everywhere. I believe we can make that case. Then what do they need? They need to be fortified with doctrinal truth. They need to understand what it means to, to, to not have hate, even anger, even in their hearts. They need to understand that, that before you stand in that pulpit, that you need to have your eyes pure because if you've had your eyes on the sacred text, but you've had your eyes also feasting on some website somewhere that you ought not, you are a hypocrite. You are an adulterer to use the words of Jesus. You cannot get your cultural values from TikTok. You can't get it from any other social platform out there, Instagram or whatever it may be that, that is out there that is saying, this is okay, this is all right. You can have a friend with benefits. No, you can't. You can't do that. I'm not preaching just to Bible college students right here. I'm preaching to you as members of Southwest Baptist Church that, that you can't have friends with benefits. You know what I mean by that? That's a, that's, a, that's a new phenomenon in our day and time where you've got a friend that's just for sexual purposes, but you're not married. Listen, God still says it's wrong. And pornography is wrong. And fornication is wrong. And homosexuality is wrong. And relationship with somebody that's not your spouse is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And we got to get back to what is written rather than what you think or what anybody else thinks. And it's wrong for you not to like somebody that's of a different color. Hey, God made one race. That's a human race. We're all one blood. When they cut me, I bleed red. When they cut a black gentleman, he bleeds red. Are you following me? And then the Indian man and every Chinese individual, we all bleed the same blood. In fact, I heard a, a black preacher just yesterday that said this, hey, we're all one color. Listen, the way that even scientifically, I'm just a darker shade of that color than what you are. Don't be envious. <laughs> God, he said, he was obviously saying jokingly in fun heartedness, he said, don't think God loves me more because he gave me more than he gave you. 
I love it. I love it. This is not a white church. This is not a black church. This is not an Hispanic church. This is a church made up of sinners that are saved by God's grace. We got to get back to what is written, friend. We got to get back to what is written. If we get back to what is written, it'll, it'll straighten out everything. Everything. We're trying to train preachers to preach the word. Not about the word, but the word. Amen. Colleges and churches across the land. There's a lot of watering down to get more people in. I know what God says about holiness, but let's bring that down a notch. Let's, um, friend, I, look, I'm not making this up. I've seen it with my own eyes. People don't have a very long attention span today. That's an insult. You've been listening now for 45 minutes nearly? You're doing real well. You're more intelligent than what they say. <laughs> we need to bring that down 20 minutes. 40 minutes of singing, music, rocking out 40 minutes and then we'll have a 20 minute motivational speech that's what I've been doing <laughs> I've been trying to motivate you and motivate me to say what God said and do what God said no I'm not into five ways you can improve your marriage hey maybe the, uh, there's more than five I'm not against all that. Please don't misunderstand me. But, but here's what we need. We don't need, let me, let me tell you just another funny story. This happened to me the other day. Now, I can tell you some funny stories. I live with three boys. There's plenty of opportunity, and I'm the fourth, right? Plenty of opportunity. But I'm not up here to entertain you. I don't think God's against us enjoying preaching. In fact, our spirit ought to agree with That's right. That is so right. We need that. that that's enjoyable. If you accidentally got entertained today, then I'm sorry. But I think you understand what I'm trying to say. That there is a motive. And I think what it is, there's a danger. I face it every week as well. A preacher wants everybody to like him. And he wants to be funny. He wants to be hip. He wants to be brief. And so now, watch this. 
The Bible truth content that's in songs is down. The Bible truth content that is in messages is down. And so it shouldn't be no surprise to us that if the Bible's influence on our society has gone down not only in schools and in, in, in governmental agencies, et cetera, et cetera, but it's also gone down in churches, we should not be surprised to see a rise in immorality and a rise in violence and a rise in hate and a rise in injustice. Why? Because you have removed the salt that we need. And that's why we're trying to train preachers to preach the word and trust the word to do the work, not your personality, though he's going to use your personality and boy, do you have one. And that's all right. But don't make it about your personality. It's not the preaching of the word. It's the word the Word, the Word of God preached. That's what makes a difference. Because otherwise we're no different than the scribes and Pharisees. We're not really helping our society. We're just showing off. God's not called you to show off. God has called you to preach what thus saith the Lord and not hold back. What man says versus what God has written. What man says about salvation confusion. But what is written is that we're sinners that need a Savior. And what is written, I read it this morning, 1 Corinthians 15, according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures, Paul said, he died according to the Scriptures. He, wrote, he was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. He was seen of Cephas and all the others according to the Scriptures. We got the Word. We've got the solution for a culture that is in moral chaos and in a tailspin. Somebody needs to take the will and say, wait a minute, it's not, we can't, well, let's just see how this goes. No, we got to get in line with what God's word says. And that's for you as dads and moms and, and Sunday school teachers and preachers and Heartland Baptist Bible College students, can I just take a moment and exhort every one of you? I know that you're weary. I know that you're tired. I know you want to go somewhere else other than here. But you got to stick with it, friend. You got to stick with it because you are needed in this day and time. And you got to understand. You got to know this is not fun and games. This is not just about you going to Taco Bell after a service or going to on the border wherever you're going to go. It's not about you just having a great old time. No, it's about you letting the word get in you and let it have an effect in you. Let it change you, change you real deep, real deep, so that you're convinced that when you go out. That you don't have to have a big building or a bunch of stuff. You just got to have the word. Amen. Let the word have you. And God will use you to impact the society that's all messed up. Because it is what is written, not what you think and what you say. That will straighten us out. Let's stand together here today. Dear Father in heaven, help us. the moral compromise and confusion of our day. I feel like saying mayday. I feel like crying out for help, oh God. The moral compromise, the angst, anger, hatred, malice, confusion, wrong things said the wrong way, insulting words, unforgiveness, a lack of commitment.
And on the list goes just using what you said nearly 2,000 years ago. It's still relevant today. I pray you'd help us, everyone. Thank you for loving people. Thank you for loving us. With all of our problems, God, thank you for sending your son to die in our place. And God, I just pray that you'd raise up a generation, not just of students, but of children and young people and young couples that would devote their whole life, whether full-time ministry or not, would devote their whole life to truth. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're standing, we're singing page 254.